1: Well, it's all go. How are you? How's things? What's going on in your world? It's all go over here because I'm squeezing in this podcast recording midway between becoming an eBay mogul i'm standing here looking out my window of my office because i've got one of my first sales the lovely woman who's bought it uh is coming to collect the dog crate that i'm selling now gotta tell you what you shouldn't look out your own window for very long because i've just noticed my gate is falling down there's a hole in the wall oh dear let's if i can just continue to ignore that um i'm selling the dog crate It's been a big situation in our household because William and I, husband William and I, were having a clear out of the shed because we bought a new shed to replace the one that had gone rotten. In the clear out, you, of course, don't do any clearing out. What you do is you go on a long, circuitous route down memory lane in said shed, which is full of crap, basically. There is a dog crate. Now, dog crate, for anyone who, for any of the uninitiated, is a cage you put your dog in to train it uh in the beginning of its time with you so that it understands how to be alone or something. I'm sure dog lovers will be able to tell me. Uh We bought one for Ridley. Ridley is a sausage dog. He's the size of my hand. The crate was probably for, like, a Doberman or something. It's the biggest thing in the world. Anyway, because me and William are a pair of softies... Um, we never use the dog crate. So whoever's buying it is getting a bloody great deal because she's got it for 25 quid. And um, I think there are 100 when you buy them. So I think that's pretty good. She offered me 15 originally and I said no. And she came back with 25, which I thought was rather good. You play hard, you know? Anyway, so William was like, we're not selling it because that means we're never getting another dog. So suddenly it becomes, we're standing in the shed surrounded by crap. Tired, exhausted, don't want to do this anymore. Having an existential discussion about whether we're going <laughs> whether we're going to be getting another dog, when that will be, you know, God forbid our little riddles were to shuffle off this mortal coil. Would we want to do the overlap? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm standing there going, Do you know what? I just want to empty the bloody shed. I'll get a cage. But which we didn't use, by the way. I'll get another cage if and or when we get another dog. Anyway, so I have put tons of junk on it's not junk, goodness me, where's me with my, forgetting my sales, my sales head on, tons of beautiful pre-loved items on eBay. And I'm just going to say, I think I word things beautifully. I don't know. I think I'm a born salesman. So tons of watchers, tons of people, very naughty on eBay, actually, because they message you saying, what if I gave you cash and came around to your house? And then they start talking to you in code because they start telling you, they start splitting their phone number up into different messages. And suddenly you feel like, you know, you're entering the mainframe or you feel like you're some undercover cop, um, as they're like trying to communicate with you in a way that eBay doesn't detect, because if they see you doing shenanigans uh about selling off without paying them fees, eBay's fees, uh, they cancel all your messages. So it's been quite the learning curve. And speaking of behaving like a sort of undercover cop slash spy, can I just tell you, we've got the most exciting guest. We've got Ben Hunt, on the podcast today. Ben was the BBC's first ever LGBTQ... No, they just called it LGBT correspondent. We've known each other for a while. Will Young and I interviewed him for the cover of Attitude many moons ago. But that's not how we met, actually. We met because we went on his podcast that he used to do on the BBC about pod. He did a podcast about podcasts. So we've just sort of stayed in touch ever since. We went to see everybody loves Jamie together because he's amazing. Um, Ben is, I mean, so was the, so was the show. He's wonderful and he's just a, a force for good is what I'll say about him. So he's on the podcast today. We talk in the interview about him being like an undercover spy, actually, because the way he goes about his sort of stories where he's exposing things about injustices um looking after the rights of lgbtq plus people and things is fascinating he's amazing so that's very exciting what i should say as well is we did tell you that today's episode was actually an interview with nadine one of the founders of pussy palace uh who have been splashing across the news creating a whole furore uh because of the way they priced their tickets but unfortunately, Nadine wasn't well. That's why we've rejigged the schedule, as they say. Um, if you're not all caught up with Homo sapiens, we have got two cracking episodes for you to listen to. So if you want to know about queer history and LGBT History Month, which is going on throughout Feb, listen to our episode about the Pink Pound and the history of the Pink Pound with Justin Bengry. So good. And then we've got Susie Ruffle, which was last week. Adore her. It's the beginning of something beautiful. That's all I'm going to say about me and Susie. Uh, we love hearing from you. Loads of you have been in touch recently. It's wonderful. Hello at homosapienspodcast.com or on Instagram at homosapiens. And you've got to keep sending me agony uncle questions, people. Finally, the t shirt competition is back. And all you need to do to be in with a chance of winning one of our lovely t shirts is to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Please go on Apple Podcasts and give us a review. It's much appreciated. It's how we grow. Right. I'm going to head. To the inbox. Speak of the devil. So I've just had an email from eBay. Someone saying, Would I take £20 for a pair of bedside tables? (laughs) (laughs) With 57 watches on it? No. Emails from listeners. That's what I was going to do. Here we go. Thank you for your lovely feedback. Jojo985 said about the Suzy app, This was so funny and moving towards the end. Um, what was wrong with the beginning? That's a joke. Uh, per- the perfect episode in exactly what I needed in my life yesterday. Thank you. Jojo. It's just actually just Joe. I don't know why I said Jojo. Uh, that's all we're here for, to give you what you need. And I'm so pleased. And that's, it's all Susie. It's nothing to do with me. Um, Lena got in touch um, with, oh, there's a car pulling up. Playing quite loud music. Could this be her? Not what I was thinking. I was expecting sort of I'm expecting a middle aged woman, which is funny because actually if you're getting a puppy you're maybe more likely to be younger? Don't know. What am I what biases am I leaning into here? What terrible mistakes am I making? There's a navy blue car pulling up outside. There's something hanging from the rear what do you call it? Rear view mirror. Could be dice. Looks fluffy, but it's not dice. No, that's a bloke. Well, I'm expecting a woman he's not getting out of the car he's just sitting there oh no he's no he's looking He can see me looking okay turning away let's listen to lena's voice note
2: first of all thank you so much for the absolutely brilliant uh justin bangry and uh, suzy ruffler episodes they are so good i love that justin bangry ended by mentioning some of his top queer historians and on. The top of the list, obviously, is Amy Tooth Murphy, because Amy Tooth Murphy is great. And since in the next episode, I think Solvig, uh, a listener writing in, said, you should absolutely have some people on. I would say get Amy Tooth Murphy. Amy does research on butch lesbians, the history of the butch. Amy does oral history. Super fascinating stuff. Um, She was on my podcast, Queer Lit. uh, But I'm sure (laughs) you ask her a much more interesting question, and she's a great person to talk to. And I also wanted to say that I really look forward to the episode on queer spaces because that's something that again in- interests me a lot, and it comes up a lot in conversation with me and my partner. We have a bit of an age gap, and my partner sometimes say it, says, "Well, you know, it's maybe it's because I'm I'm an older queer, uh, but I, I feel very protective of our queer spaces."
1: Thank you for that. It's fascinating, actually. I would love to do an episode on the history of Butch. We were all over it. Don't you worry, listeners, after that person wrote in. As we know, this season is all about you. We're contacting people. Leave it with us. It's happening. And interesting about the queer spaces thing. I'll bring that up. I know what you mean. I always feel like I slightly straddle the two generations of the people who are really protective and people who are not. Because, you know, it's an age thing, I think. And I'm sort of pro both, you know, let's have something for everybody, is what I think. Not that anybody asked me. So two interesting facts for you listeners. One is I'm doing today standing up because uh, I'm trying to get my step count up and I consider this to be like step count. Second thing is, as you may have noticed on the Instagram, <clears throat> I look awful in all the videos that we put online. I don't want to adjust my face. I just sort of let that happen. But I've bought a ring light that goes over my computer. It's great. It just clips on and it means you can actually see my face because I'm aware half the time I'm in darkness in those videos. So let's see how it goes. Um, Craig got in touch about Dr. Range. I am just catching up with the podcast after a break from social media. Good on you for having a break. Loved hearing Dr. Ranch. He's such a good person to listen to. And you should count yourself as a force for good too for the LGBTQ plus community. Craig, bless you. Thanks. I do my best. I was glad he brought up the men who have sex with men being able to give blood now, as long as you have been with the same partner for three months. Makes scientific sense and is something I've wanted to do since I was a kid. I'm about to give blood for the fourth time. Craig, you're amazing. Well done. As each time you donate, you get a point, which at a certain level gives you awards and certificates. Unfortunately, I think I'm too old to reach 100 donations, but I can dream. Craig, you don't need to do 100 donations. You are amazing. So let it be known. The world needs more people like you. So that's really kind of you. What about, here's an idea. Why don't we go and have a lovely chat with the one and only Ben Hunt. You're going to love this. Also, uh, a sleuth investigative journalist, you know, fighting for good in a Robin Hood style, in in a world full of injustice. Also, very good at renovating. So we talk about that too here's our chat with Ben Hunt.
0: There's obviously COVID and how that has basically meant I've started a new job and I've never met my boss and I've never met my team. <laughs> it's like,
1: You've never met your boss?
0: Never met my boss. He is the loveliest man and I've always wanted a boss like him. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, we're we're yet to meet. Uh, I think I'm almost like six months into, into my role now as well, which is wild. And yeah, we've, we've never met. But also I've not actually done my job yet which is interesting
1: oh how come
0: so i've been doing a lot of articles which is great and that's definitely like a core focus now i can write articles which is fab um but i'm still like a broadcast journalist so supposed to be making like mini docs and traveling the world and the main thing is i'm i'm with an organization vice world news we're supposed to be telling Mm -hmm. world news all of my stories have been uk at the moment because there's just so much happening here There's so much LGBTQ stuff that's going on. Um, So, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to jumping on planes and stuff. But, yeah, that's me.
1: So what is your official title?
0: I am a senior reporter for Vice World News. And I cover stories about race and do LGBTQ investigations. And Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to be on planes and in trains and on buses and stuff, uh, exploring and uncovering things that make people sit up.
1: I was thinking before we started this, I think you're the closest thing I have to um, who I know uh, to a spy. (laughs) I feel like you're a spy
0: sometimes i feel like a spy i'm just waiting for the government to respond to a list of 10 questions that i've asked them for my upcoming investigation and genuinely Ooh. as i sent that email i was like oh i was like, <laughs> like <laughs> it's, it's spicy it's really spicy but yeah I, I do feel like a spy at times the stuff that people tell me that goes on in their organizations is just mm-hmm. wild Like what is happening what's going on is
1: that why you do it is that what you love about it
0: um, I'm actually not sure why I do it anymore, to be honest. It's every time that my name trends on Twitter from transphobes and homophobes, I really do question, like, why? Mm. <laughs> like, what is this for? <laughs> But then when I think about it, there aren't that many people that are investigating LGBTQ things. And especially Mm. because in these times, like drag queens are so mainstream now. Pride is so mainstream now. I do sometimes feel like a dark cloud that kind of like gathers around the rainbow. And I'm just like, remember what's actually happening? Because it's necessary. (laughs) Like there's so much happening behind closed doors and behind the scenes that I'm just trying to kind of bring to the light. Um, And I think that that probably is why I do it. And of course you get a buzz every time someone sits up and thinks something differently as a result of your work it's it's incredible but at the same time like it's definitely taking its toll like definitely i'm mm. definitely feeling it at the moment definitely
1: well it's really stressful i imagine
0: yeah it is it is mm. like this is people's lives at the end of the day like this is i'm mm. literally reporting on people's lives every single story that i do is impacting somebody whether it's the people who have given me their story like I'm so humbled by the fact that people go through really horrific things and they think, I need to tell Ben about this. Sometimes mm. people will come to me before the police if they've been attacked. Like, really? they'll send me like bloody photos of what's, what's gone on. I'm just like, you need to tell the police about this. <laughs> like, yeah. I, can't, I can't do anything about that. It's, it's wild. And obviously people trusting me, like, people have mortgages to pay and families to feed, trusting me with internal goings on at their organizations. I'm like, what is happening? it's incredible but yeah, it is very stressful about carrying all of that
1: that's why i think you're a spy because you shared (laughs) those snaps of texts the other day being like hi ben please can i talk to you i i work at this institution or this that institution which we'll get into in a bit um but yeah it's investigative journalism
0: Whoa! how old are you again (laughs) i always feel so young i I need to add like five years onto my actual age people don't take me seriously as a result of it it's quite interesting actually especially like when you're when you're doing deep investigative like government reports and stuff um it's interesting to not be taken seriously but yeah it's it's i've always had it like i started out at the bbc when i was what like 24 years old uh reporting Mm -hmm. for BBC London, and yeah, of course, I was the youngest. I was the youngest correspondent at the BBC when I was the LGBT correspondent. It's like it's the youngest, the youngest, the youngest, but it's just mm. in, in this in this industry, it's not really a positive thing because you look immature and inexperienced. So.
1: Is there also a thing about, uh, so you you know Gina Martin, the activist who got upskirting made illegal? That would be the shortest sentence describing the longest, most painful journey. But that's what she did. She said when she started to get involved in having to go into the Houses of Parliament, I think it was um political places she started to think about maybe dressing differently so that she fit in in those halls so she you know so if she wore a black suit she would look a certain way and actually her vibe is very colorful and then she decided it would be transgressive for her to actually stick to be the person she knows she is you know why, why shouldn't someone who looks like me be in the be in these hallways talking about changing laws and stuff and do you think there's a bit of that for you one being a black man one being a handsome man being a stylish man being all these things that journalism and investigative journalism is normally like an older white guy in a mac
0: right <laughs> i mean there's definitely some of that for me i've never felt that i've fitted into uk journalism at all I still don't. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't feel like I fit in. To be fair, like that's why I don't really identify as journalist. (laughs) Like (laughs) I was definitely a filmmaker at the BBC. I made deep reports, but usually they were films that I wanted people to like engage with and they were, they were Mm. good to watch. Um, at Vice, I definitely feel like more of a journalist now. Mm. Um, but that being said, like I don't go to like networking things and all of that stuff. I, I don't feel. Like, I can be in those spaces. I don't feel like really? I belong in those spaces. I never have. Um, it's yeah, I've, I've hustled my way into an industry that ultimately didn't want me. Let's be real about it. And why didn't it want you? I think because I probably didn't have like the privilege to access these spaces. I had a one day internship at the BBC that turned into five years. Uh, and wow. That's it. Like I was just, I got lucky to, to be in that space and people were just like, Oh, we kind of like what you're offering, but mm. I didn't do it the, the generic way. I didn't really work my way up in the same way as many people did. I kind of jumped mm. in as a YouTuber and said, this is what I do. I have a social media following. Like let me on TV, please. And <laughs> hustled hard enough on my own stories and investigations that I, they couldn't really not pay attention to what I was bringing. Wow. So it's, it's only, it's. It's luck. Like, there was no one behind me. And I think that's one of the scariest things to see that, that there wasn't a pipeline of people like, behind me that looked like me and sounded like me. When I mm. left the BBC, it was basically like, OK, bye. <laughs> Done. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> no more Benz. <laughs> uh,
1: when you went to the BBC as its first LGBT correspondent, it was the most exciting time ever. I was so excited and I was so full of the bright new dawn of hope
0: it was incredible. I had a great time at the BBC. I think mm-hmm. the, the thing is, like, I need to reflect on this in a positive light because the BBC changed my life. Mm-hmm. Let's be 100% real. Like, if it wasn't for that, I would not have gone on to be one of the BBC's youngest correspondents ever. And um, one of yeah. the BBC's only black male correspondents. Um, I went on to be a foreign correspondent in my twenties. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Reporting in yeah. English and French, <laughs> like on the African in continent. I didn't know that. Yeah. Then obviously jumping over to Vice as a correspondent for them as well in an international role. It's mm-hmm. like, it's the BBC fully changed my life. I have a house. Like, I'm I'm a council estate, like fresh from the Caribbean. Um, mm-hmm. I've managed to buy a house and build a house in my hometown We're coming of London. On to that, it's just that. Like, it's it's like it's it's very difficult to for me to reflect, reflect badly um because the BBC changed my life. Like I mm-hmm. I I wish that other people got the same opportunities that I did to mm-hmm. do incredible work and to kind of have that platform because every day was just, it, it felt like a blessing. Like, I just was mm-hmm. like, is this real life? Is this me?
1: Mm-hmm. Is that me really?
0: And, and that's, You know what? This is the joy of being with my parents versus I'm currently in my childhood bedroom. So the phone Are is really you in, in my parents' house. <laughs> yes, uh,
1: with um, a landline, which is a rare sound these I days. I know, this is it. I love that thing someone put online the other day. They were like my phone hasn't rung since 2006 or something like <laughs> who who actually and that's funny because when you spend time with parents you realize they have all their fucking notifications on and it's so annoying you're like it's like bing it's like how does it even get that loud i've never heard an iphone make such my a family's loud. like
0: addicted to duolingo so oh really have like duolingo hours each evening which i just love it's just this living with my parents coming back here has been the best experience everything happens for a reason I understand like my house was supposed to be built in November it's fine we're going to move past that but just being at home (laughs) in these times has been wonderful
1: oh and do you get cooked for
0: Mm, not so much because I work around the clock and that means Mm -hmm. that my evenings are usually spent in meetings with people so like meeting whistleblowers or case studies or whoever um especially because like now I'm not at the BBC, the hustle is harder. Mm. So the BBC, like when you get, when you get given exclusives and stuff, it's just like, well, obviously you're going to come to me on the BBC. Like it's, Mm -hmm. you you want this to be publicized to the biggest audience possible. But now I'm at uh, an organization that isn't, with the same reach like the BBC on on broadcast media. I'm not with a broadcaster now. So Mm -hmm. it means I've had to really like connect with people more and make sure that um, I understand what they're going through and make sure I've got their connections and all of that stuff so that people do still come to me with stories. And I've been very lucky Mm. so far and hopefully that continues.
1: Well, what you've been doing recently is extraordinary. Thank you. It really is. So... Take me back a bit, because I know you started as a YouTuber, but why did all that start?
0: I was working in, at Google as a strategy manager, and there was a team there called YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that? And, and they were doing some pretty cool stuff. So I thought, oh, let me have some of that. And it just went really well. I uploaded Mm. a couple of videos and they kind of blew up and Mm. I thought, okay, so this can pay my bills.
1: And what were they about, those first ones?
0: They were just about me living my life as a black gay man with a partner, with a boyfriend. Um, We would vlog, we would talk about our lives, our experiences. We would travel around and record stuff. And I've always loved making films. So I've always had like my DSLR, I've always had my MacBook, literally my besties, um, and I've always just made stuff. So it felt like a natural journey to then do that for an audience.
1: Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because there's something very instantaneous about you. You're full of energy and you're full of ideas and you're full of thoughts that seem very well thought out, very quickly back to back and... So I imagine that filming is better. You prefer filming rather than writing an article, which is quite like, you know, do one ver, do one version, do second version. It's less instantaneous. Yeah, Yeah. but it's also
0: for me, it's less creative as well. Um, Really, I love that I've explored now writing articles with a bit Mm -hmm. more flavour. Than I was at the BBC because the BBC is very like methodological in the way that the articles are written. But at Vice, I kind of jumped in. I was just like, "How do I do this? Like, how do I how do I engage through my words?" Um, and having to learn that and being around some incredible people that, that do that really well has been cool. But it's it's different. It's different. Like I'm I'm mm. really excited to get back to making films, um, and mini docs and stuff because that is. Yeah, it's just, I love being able to bring on my, across my personality. Because
1: at the BBC, you have to be impartial, right? But also like, I I imagine an article written by you for the BBC is meant to have the voice of the BBC, not the voice of you. Whereas at Vice, it's about you as the journalist, right? Yeah, and I think
0: that that definitely was changing in the time that I was at the BBC. So they were going through pilots of uh, bringing in more personality because the world has changed. People Mm -hmm. have like a shorter attention span than ever before because there's just so much happening. I would find that articles I would write at the BBC would immediately get picked up by other outlets. Other people would mm-hmm. write them, take them. And then I'd see people sharing articles and being like, this is an incredible investigation by Pink News. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> that was me, that was me. Um, yes. So yeah, it is, yes. it's It's different. It's It's different being able to kind of, Get my personality across more through my mm. words, but still, I haven't fully learned how to do that in the same way as like, some of our favourite culture writers, for instance, have been able to do it.
1: I actually really like the. Oh, this is I don't know what this is based on, but like I quite like the inertness of the BBC's content, and I think that's a point of difference. And if the BBC was being all like, even Nicholas Witchell doing um, the royal family stuff mm. lately, like. The way he behaves about the royal family now compared to what it was like when we were kids <laughs> is so different. And they always call him like Nick now. And he's really like, I sort of, he, I feel like he's on the verge of saying I'm going to spill spill the tea. Do you know what I mean? Like He's just <laughs> so, it's just very informal. And I'm like, and then when you're saying that, it's like, oh, is that what they're trying to do with him to make it a bit more personality led?
0: The world has changed. I, I, I have no idea what's kind of happening behind the scenes now, but hmm. I think all media organisations are going to be trying to be more youthful and to try to cut through the noise in whatever way they can. And yeah, I think it's the standard broadcast way of doing things that's existed for X amount of decades. It just doesn't hmm. exist anymore. It can't exist anymore. It's just it's people are turning off from it. So, yeah. <laughs> But Vice
1: must be such an exciting place to work because I've always felt that like it's somewhere that totally fully gets queer people.
0: Yeah. It's
1: baked in from the word go.
0: That's what yeah. I love about it. I love it. Mm-hmm. It's it's where I need to be for this point of my career. Mm -hmm. Moving on from the BBC, where I was in an LGBTQ specific role, there were very few places. I had lots of offers from places to do all sorts of different things that weren't Mm -hmm. LGBTQ related. But I thought, how am I going to leave all of these contacts, all of this expertise, all of this insight that I've had from two years in this role to then Mm -hmm. go and be an economics correspondent? Or a health correspondent, like it's, it would have been such a waste. And that's why when Vice offered me this opportunity to continue what I was doing at the BBC, I was like, yes. And I was like, so you mean I get to travel the world, report on LGBTQ people and on race, investigate stuff and just live my best life across social media and online, which is ultimately where the eyes are anyway. So yeah, Mm. sign me up. I'm ready.
1: So they actually baked in that it would be LGBTQ and race. It wasn't just senior correspondent. It was like, that's your niche.
0: They took me being the West Africa correspondent for the BBC, me Mm. being the LGBTQ correspondent for the BBC, put those together and said, come to Vice
1: right and then because it's funny isn't it because when so when we started this podcast in 2017 i can't been then, must have been um we used to look for like things to talk about that were going on in the world that were queer related and it just would be the occasional crumb would float past me. we'd be like oh we can talk about that now like woo yeah oh my gosh it's everything which is great it's fantastic I mean, ours is slightly different because we're like, oh, did you know there's a film about gay person? But you know, like it's not. But what you're seeing is a is a darker, sadder side to the experience. But it it's incredible the change, isn't it? In five years,
0: it is, it is. And one thing that I've noticed is, for my time at the BBC, I realised that I wasn't reaching some communities. So I wanted to start something that would get me out and about and actually speaking to people more than broadcast media was allowing me to. Um, mm-hmm. So I started up this confidence academy where I'd go out and I'd speak to young people, six to nine year olds, 10 to 12 year olds and 13 to 18 year olds. And it's just a one hour confidence masterclass about these young people finding their voices. And what I quickly noticed was I was going into some of these schools expecting to tell them all about like the world now and LGBTQ rights and what's happening. And these kids are just like, actually, banned. like in our LGBT society last week, we were talking about this and you've just got it wrong. <laughs> like, wow. I don't know what facts you're telling us. Like, this is old news. We all know about this already. And it's incredible. Like the world has completely changed. I had a class uh, a few months ago and not a single young person in the class identified as straight. They were all either pansexual or bisexual. Really? And this is like secondary school kids. I was so shocked. This is where we're at. I'm going wow. into schools and there's rainbow rainbow posters and LGBT societies and assemblies specifically focusing on LGBT history month and class trips to go see everybody's talking about Jamie and all of these mm. things that I wish were there for me when I was growing up. But the mm. world has changed completely.
1: So that's amazing. And then what age were these kids?
0: So they would have been, I think, like my middle group. So like 10 to 12 years old. I just think
1: that's so exciting.
0: It's wild, isn't it? Like this is, Mm. this is how the world has changed. And this is as a result of social media, for sure. It's as a Mm -hmm. result of like Netflix. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's what I love about being able to deliver these sessions is because I'm being taught stuff. As I go around the country and I'm expecting to hear certain things, like my mind is just being blown every single time uh, Mm. to be told about like what kids are watching and uh, who they're following and what's kind of being discussed in their schools. Like, for instance, they're so discussing politics. Everyone is so switched on to politics and Boris Johnson and all of these things that I would have found like quite boring growing up. Like, they're all yes. involved in um, environmental yeah. action and, yeah, like being really uh, annoyed by like that corruption that's happening in government and stuff. It's just incredible.
1: That is amazing because I, well, it's the same as you. I just didn't... <laughs> we grew up in quite a weirdly quiet time. Not to say there wasn't terrible things going on, but there wasn't... It was different, wasn't it? I mean, I know I'm 10 years old and you keep going on about it. <laughs> um, this is the end of part one of our lovely chat with Ben Hunt. Come back for part two. He's going to be spilling all the beans on loads more interesting stuff. Also, stuff that I find fascinating. Renovations. <laughs>